0: Welcome to Radio Survivor. We're here for the love of radio and sound. And happy anniversary to us and happy 200th episode to us. I'm Paul Reismandel. I'm Eric
1: Klein. We're here for the love of radio and sound. We're here for the uh, tough love for radio, the sound of strong communities.
0: That's all of our taglines.
1: Yeah, it's been so long. We've got multiple reasons to be. And we're also joined on the line, so pleased to be here with everyone who makes Radio Survivor survive. Uh, Jennifer Waits is here from San Francisco. And Matthew Lazar is here from San Francisco. Uh, you both hello. should say hello.
2: Hello, 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 hello. 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 <laughs> Happy birthday to us.
3: Happy birthday.
0: So we figured and- out that radiosurvivor.com, which is the website from which this podcast and radio show uh, grew, uh, first went on the interwebs on June 11th of 2009. Uh, a great year to start a blog. Indeed, indeed, a great year to start a blog. Now, this episode will actually be going live uh, in July, on July second of twenty uh, uh, of twenty nineteen. But we're recording here still in the month of June, <laughs> on June twenty eighth, two thousand nineteen. So we'll still count the anniversary. We didn't want to to pass by, and we did. We, we've mentioned it on the show here and there. Um, but I thought this is a great opportunity for us to kind of think back over ten years of of writing and publishing about radio from a perspective that's rarely seen anywhere, as well as doing uh, this podcast celebrated its fourth year and radio show celebrated its fourth year this this June as well. And I think and
1: it's our two hundredth. 200th- it's also our 200th episode. of the podcast and
0: radio program. So, and it's not, I don't want, and you know, this isn't just patting ourselves on the back. What I I wanted to, I wanted to sort of talk about the, the changes to some extent we've seen in a decade. And and mm. changes not just to radio and online media and, and like other sorts of online audio, but also sort of like online media. Like the environment for an independent website yeah. even has changed. Let alone uh, making radio for the internet. Exactly, been, all of this it's has been changed. a big decade for that uh, in, in the last ten years, and you know whether you you've paid attention to these things all along. I think if you are a media consumer of any sort in in, in this day and age in twenty nineteen, uh, these changes affect you, affect what you read, what you listen to, what you watch, and may maybe and, and if you're somebody, you're you're a media creator yourself, it affects the way you do it. And, and how you do it. And you know what I love about this story that we're
1: going to do on this episode today is that it's not all in one direction. Like, think, 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 right. think the gods of radio that some of the stories we're about to tell are very positive stories of growth in addition to strange uh, stories of decay that we're used to when we talk about yeah, media.
0: Right. I, yeah, and I think in, in many ways it's amoebic, uh, the story will tell. It, it, it has gone in an unpredictable directions and, and when when all of this massive independent activity has been poked on one side, the amoeba kind of b- yeah. blurbs out and on another side. It's a metaphor that's worth testing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we can, we'll put it to the test here. Um, so to start, though, I thought it would be important to go back to 2009, uh, to the start of Radio Survivor. Um, and, and Matthew Lessar, I mean, fundamentally, this was your idea. And it was something which you had – you had come to me with the idea before 2009 um, and and said, you know, we should join forces. You were writing a, a, a blog essentially called uh, Lazar, Lazar Letter on FCC. So you were sort of writing sort of many of the things that you've written for Radio Survivor over the years, uh, observing policy angles at the FCC and giving your two, three, and four cents on it. I was writing a blog called Media Geek, which – at least the shell of, still exists online, in which I was doing something similar, observing independent media trends, uh, writing a lot about media consolidation, pirate radio, and things like this. And, and you had reached out to me maybe in 2008, maybe even in 2007, saying we should, we should join forces. And what was, that, what was that initial impulse about, Matthew?
2: Well, the initial impulse was about my realization that I was never going to reach that many people alone. That uh, there were already a whole lot of people out there in blog land, you know, as it it was at the time, and they were doing their own thing. But that if um, I joined forces with some similar people, that we as a group would have a much larger audience than we would as individuals. I had become by. 2007, 2008, 2009, sort of obsessed with the Federal Communications Commission, largely because of my um, writings about Pacifica Radio um, and uh, also because of the media democracy movement, which was burgeoning um, at the time. And I had also become sort of obsessed because I had become something of an expert on basically delving into the FCC's database of comments and proceedings and extracting from them discussions Uh, statements, letters, uh, advisories that no one was seeing that most people didn't even notice. But I could I could figure out how to get them. And I I became sort of obsessed with finding all these interesting things that people were writing, corporations, advocates, ordinary individuals, and publishing them on this thing, which I rather immodestly called Lassar's letter on the FCC. Mm -hmm. And that apparently came to the intention of people who I didn't know anything about and um uh i you know i began to you know basically develop these these relationships but i saw that i wasn't going to get very much much further um than i was al- already getting Matthew, that, can i um, can i ask yeah. you
1: for for like a, a nice d- detail that you that you dug out from those from those hidden comments on the fcc's
2: uh proceedings back back in the early aughts well i remember that I would find um, rather intemperate <laughs> comments that sometimes um, corporate executives would make about media activists, accusing them of being communists, accusing them of being basically. You know, I, mean, I remember there was one particular issue. I don't remember the issue specifically, but I remember that one industry executive basically wrote, basically published in the, in the database, pub- sent a letter to the FCC, basically accusing. Um, his critics in the media activist movement of being communists, of particularly one group, and it was very obvious that he didn't realize that this intemperate comment was uh, was a matter of public record. By the way, these people were not communists at all. Um, and I wrote an I wrote a piece about it. I remember it and-
0: this. I'm remembering this now, and I so I also <laughs> remember who who they were writing about.
2: Yes. um, Well, your memory is better than mine um, is. And uh, and I just it was wicked fun. I have to say that I just, you know, felt wonderfully naughty and and had just a a grand time um, doing those sort of things. I also recording basically. Yes. And finding a story and telling it. And. You know, what most me- regular media reporters, what most most me- regular FCC reporters were doing was they were regularly calling the industry and asking the industry questions. And not a whole lot of them were checking in on these databases and looking at what they were actually writing to the Federal Communications Commission. Mm-hmm. And in a sense, I felt like I was doing something along the lines of what I.F. Stone, um, um, an ancient now um, uh, investigative reporter from the 1950s um, used to do. Um, he used to actually go and read government reports rather than calling up and cultivating contacts in Washington, D.C. He would just religiously read government reports and he would discover all kinds of interesting things in these government reports that the regular media, the Washington Post, the New York Times would, you know, missed. And I enjoy doing that tremendously. But I also saw that I just was never going to get very far um, just doing this all by myself. I had some weird, um, 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 you know, content management system that I had, you know, that that I had created that was really sort
1: of, you, you know, together.
2: Yeah, that I had clued together and I could see I could see already that this wasn't going to go anywhere. And I just realized, you know, that to use to use the cliched term that that um, there would be a lot more synergy. Mm-hmm. If I, um, you know, if I found some other people, and so I reached out to um, um several of you, um as I recall, and um and and gradually you came to agree with me, and so in right. 2009, radio survival, this
0: very clearly, because the first time I turned you down, and I and, and probably with the excuse of something like there's too much on my plate already. Well, that's you know, understandable, you know, yeah. and and I think, you know, I was probably yeah, same. <laughs> I think, at the t- you know, I, I don't remember the exact year. So but I, I suspect that I was maybe still entertaining the final last gasp idea that I would finish a, a Ph.D., which which I did not. Um, and I was working full-time, doing a lot of uh, work still at uh, Community Radio WEFT. I was probably in in the last stages of sort of phasing out of doing a lot of work with the Urbana-Champaign Independent Media Center. And All just,
1: important stories to the radio survivor. You know, lots of things going ethos. on.
0: Um, by the time you hit me up again, I think in early 2009, um, I had moved. So I no longer lived in Champaign-Urbana, Illinois. I lived in Chicago. I lived in Chicago. I was now working at uh, Northwestern University. So i was become the uh, advisor to WNUR, the college station there. And I was working in instructional uh, technology, instructional media technology. Um, My plate had cleared some. So I was still uh, doing the blog Media Geek. I was producing a podcast and radio show called Media Geek, which is in some ways, for me, the spiritual precursor to uh, to doing this here. Uh, I was syndicating it onto about a dozen dozen stations around uh, North America.
1: Uh, an unsunk pioneer of uh, sending your radio show over the internet to the listeners
0: that may or may not Yeah, I, I don't know about pioneer. There were lots of us <laughs> doing it. Uh, yeah, here I
1: am using colonialist language very, again. In very sort of uh,
0: low-key sorts of ways. But certainly, yeah, I've been doing that since uh, the early 2000s. And things had kind of settled down and When you made your pitch again, Matthew, I I was won over. I mean, again, because I want to ask you, Paul, what was what was the first thing you were excited
1: to write about for Radio Survivor then? And, you know, what like what what stories did
0: you want to tackle? I, you know, I will tell you the truth. I don't remember. And I don't know that in many ways. I just pictured that I was transporting the work I was doing in one place Uh to a new place. Yeah. If that makes any sense. And being maybe more specifically about radio, whereas on Media Geek I was, I actually wrote a lot about blogging mm-hmm. when blogging was the new frontier. When of, blogging uh, was the
1: podcasting of
0: yeah, it was of the new so frontier okay. of independent of independent publishing online. Or uh, you know, and I would tackle a lot of things that were you know about independent media, but not specifically about radio or audio for that matter. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know that I had a specific idea in mind. But the the other thing that Matthew said was, you know, there needs to be more than just you and me. Uh, You know, the more of us that that can do this, the better. And, you know, I I asked a a few folks I knew who at at the time demurred. And then it occurred to me I had only recently made the acquaintance of... Jennifer Waits. A very another very special blogger out there in the lonely world of radio. <laughs> because Jennifer right. had visited WNUR at Northwestern, right. where I was advisor. Um I did not meet you at that time. The kids never told me about your visit until after it happened, which is not, I know. not Isn't
3: that funny? Yeah, it's that It's not happens.
0: unusual for 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 college students to be that way. Um, but immediately upon learning about it, I had I looked you up. I looked up your your website. And I think I got in touch. Um, because I, I could see the work that you were doing. And this is before even Matthew had, had pitched this idea of Radio Survivor. Um, but once he pitched it, I said, you know, Matthew, uh, I think, you know, I've recently made the acquaintance of somebody who I think is cut from the same cloth. Yeah, Jennifer
1: Waits was, was blogging. What was the name of your blog, Jennifer?
3: Spinning Indie. Spinning
0: Indie. It's still there.
3: It's still there, yeah. And, and that Spinning Indie was focused on college radio, and and the idea behind the name was not only stations maybe spinning independent material, but also my spin on independent media. Mm-hmm. So I like that kind of double double meaning of spinning indie. But yeah, thank you. So yeah, I mean that like like uh.
0: And what were you like, doing there? I mean, what was the what was the raison d'être of the of spinning indie?
3: So. The origin story of Spinning Indie was that a little while before I decided to submit an article to an academic journal, and it was the first time I'd ever done that, and it was a college radio, a story about college radio in the 90s, and in the course of that, they asked me to come back and add more perspective on what others had written about college radio, so you know, like a literature review mm-hmm. um, is something that academics love to have. So I did my literature review about college radio and 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 found that not that many people were writing about college radio in academia, in mainstream culture, anywhere in popular press, and or, and and people weren't blogging about the culture of college radio, and like this what's is, happening.
1: And this is a unique oversight, because Jennifer, you've taught me by, by working on this show together, that college radio has been a part of radio in the United States, uh, all the way back.
3: Yeah. For a hundred years. So it, it was interesting and notable. And I had been, I've always been a writer and, and I, and I'd been thinking, oh, I really want to be blogging. And then suddenly it all just sort of hit me. I've been doing all this research and covering, you know, what has been written about college radio and some interesting nuggets. Mm -hmm. And so I kind of want to share some of that material, but I also feel like going forward there needs to be somebody covering this culture. And, and, you know, a lot of people have this motivation to write and they don't necessarily know what they want to write about. Um, You know, I've written about a lot of different things over the years, popular culture, music, and, and there are lots of people writing about, those areas so so when i hit upon something that i was passionate about that really wasn't being written about it just seemed like okay i have to do this
1: jennifer do you remember um what like i'm wondering what the main so so you you did some research into what had had been written about college radio and i'd love to hear what that might be like what was well uh well uh described by this literature but what was the gap that inspired you to dive in so you could fill yeah
3: So, you know, there were a lot of sort of hidden master's theses about college radio, you know, a number of them about very specific radio stations during a specific period of time. Um, I feel like I've uncovered, I've read a lot of things written about the 1980s in college radio. Uh That's a popular era to tackle, and, and there are scholars continuing to dive into the 1980s and... And there's still unmined territory there. You know, there are a lot of things to explore, especially since, as I've noted, not that many people are really covering college radio. So so even the 80s haven't been thoroughly covered, but it seems like that's been written about quite a bit. And uh, the, other, the other part of this story is that I've done college radio at, you know, for a substantial amount of time at four different stations. And... From those experiences, I was really struck by how different each station was mm-hmm. and also by how insular each radio station was. So people at a particular radio station tend to have absolutely no idea of what's going on in the broader world of college radio. And and when people from one station account- encounter people from another station, they're always really intrigued and ask lots of questions. and And so I also wanted to share the experience of what it's like at different stations with people at other stations. So yeah. So I thought of my audience as being the general population, like here's all this cool stuff going on in college radio you might not know about. But I also uh, wanted to have an audience of people within college radio. I wanted to talk to people within college radio about the diversity of college radio and, and things that they might not know about happening in that scene. Yeah, I would, and, s- I would say that, yeah.
1: that Radio Survivor, especially this radio program, has certainly worked at that, especially when we have an opportunity to talk with you, Jennifer. That, And that's how I feel about our audience as well, is that our audience is a, is going to be people inside other radio stations who might have their uh, ideas about what they're doing uh, in their own insular communities, expanded by hearing what other people are doing out there, but also uh, the audience of of people who love radio, who love listening to it, have something to learn by by hearing about what the the insiders are are thinking and feeling.
0: And and you know I don't want to derail sort of the origin story here, but I think that's an important aspect here that was early on I think that that Matthew articulated and that resonated with me right is providing this source for folks thousands and thousands and thousands of people in a in what is is if we can call it an industry is a growing industry non-commercial radio. Mm-hmm. Um, who are really not served maybe a community, not an industry <laughs> right who are sir who are really not served by the radio publications for the radio industry in quotes right, right? there's there's these lots of online and, and decreasing number of print uh, publications that serve you know commercial radio station managers or morning hosts and folks like that who work in the commercial industry. And almost, and and that's why that what what's nits it together. It's why somebody who works in a in a station in Tuscaloosa knows something about El Paso or knows something about Seattle because of the
1: industry magazine. Because
0: there's this industry connection and to be able to provide a little bit of that kind of of reportage to folks who would be at a college station or a community station right. or there, a hybrid community public station somewhere.
1: That, that publication exists for for non-commercial radio when it's, uh, when it's in a a different it's there's <laughs> I'm, I'm thinking of the
0: slices of the radio landscape right. and you know there's current which which serves public media and and does serve community media but is is very professionalized yeah and, I mean and it it needs to it, it it's it, it's what so it's there for maybe it's a good opportunity for
1: me to bring Matthew back in and Matthew can you describe what these other stations are that we care about that live in a world that's not being served by by the kind of public radio uh, current magazine model?
2: Well, you know, I, I think that radio world and current provide coverage of these things. I mean, I want to give them credit. I oh, think sure. that they do. You know, I think that they provide a lot of coverage. And I think that it's um, a lot of it is um, very uh, good coverage. But what I wanted was I wanted some kind of an ongoing place for ongoing discussion about on um, what it's like to be in these, ra- what it's like to be in these radio stations, what the problems are that people at these radio stations encounter day to day, what are the good things that that they accomplish, what are the things they have they have yet to accomplish, and I wanted I wanted to keep the focus primarily on that.
1: I wanted, but I, my question is, what are these radio stations that you referred to are different from the ones that? that Current focuses on? And uh, I just wanted a definition as to why, just in case the listeners, or even, it might help me, like, well, we're, we're talking I, about I, other know, kinds the, of stations.
2: Um, the stations that I'm talking about that I wanted to focus on were um, community radio stations, um, college radio stations, the Pacifica stations, which um, I have a long history of, of writing about, although I don't write about them and um, any, any, you've, any you've, longer. You've completed
1: your two books on the history of Pacifica radio.
2: I think I've suffered enough um, <laughs> uh, with all with all of that, and I can I've, I, I leave the great task of obsessing over that um, subject to others. The
1: next book um, on what happened to Pacifica Radio in the years that that followed the conclusion the, the of author the, second the book.
2: author of that the author of that book is is graduating from junior high school just yeah. about now, um, and um, you know I and also. I was very interested in just at the time in all of these little streaming radio stations that were you know emerging. Yeah, that's Um, a very uh, you know, um and and little streaming community radio stations, little streaming boxes in the street that were you know you know being created. You know, literally, and there's one in there's one in um, Williamsburg, um Brooklyn. It's basically a box. You know, people go into the box. They, you know, they do a whole lot of of dubstep, almost. You know, almost like a phone booth. Almost, they they do a whole bunch of dubstep. They take terms and they leave. What's a phone? Um, And um, you know, um, and um, you know there are and there are a whole lot of radio stations like that. And I became really interested in 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 those in those kind of experiments. Yeah. I also conceptually want wanted to keep thinking about what is radio as time was moving on and the media landscape was becoming more and more complicated um, how do we rethink what radio is. And I eventually came to the conclusion that we needed to stop identifying radio as a technology, as a technology associated with AM and FM broadcasting mm-hmm. and simply understand radio as on um, any kind of audio that is streamed to an audience. Um, and th- this, this sort of idea of, of broadcasting sound from one to many on an ongoing basis and how does podcasting fit into that and how do all of these phenomenons um fit into that and how does that serve help expand the possibilities of community media so those were all the kinds of questions that were in my head at the time and to what to some extent are still in my head although i um you know i I, I've more, I, you know, I wrote a book called Radio 2.0, Uploading the First Broadcast Medium. And I think I've I've done all I can with that project mm-hmm. as well. Um, but those were the things that were in my head very much in 2009 and kept going into my head um, for uh, many years.
0: And- you're listening to Radio Survivor. We are here for the love of radio and sound. You just heard from Matthew Lassar, one of the co-founders of Radiosurvivor.com, we're we're celebrating ten years at this enterprise. We're celebrating. Four years of doing this radio show and which podcast. Means episode number 200 and which means is Episode, the episode you're number to. 200. My name is Paul Riespendel. Also joining us is Eric Klein, who you just heard, and Jennifer Waits. We're talking a little bit about what caused us to create this because we think it sort of sets a, a kind of uh, milestone in the development of radio and the development of online media, including audio, but not just audio. Um, and we're, you know, kind of putting this in perspective, I think, on the on the occasion of the 10th anniversary. If you've never been to radiosurvivor.com, let, let, let's let please encourage you to go there and you can sort of read up on a lot of of what we're talking about. I recently posted my reflections on on these 10 years, uh, which you can find there.
1: I, I just wanted to add that one, Matthew had mentioned that. Um, Uh, Streaming radio is no different than terrestrial radio, and uh, that reminds me that that's uh, another very important uh, lesson that I keep being taught by Jennifer Waits about college radio stations, that um, many college radio stations uh, have gone to a streaming-only model, and those stations shouldn't be uh, viewed by radio lovers as being less than their terrestrial uh, cousins, even though maybe terrestrial radio stations... Uh, especially with a large urban signal, uh, have the potential to reach more listeners.
3: Right. Yeah, and and for young people, they're primarily listening online, so it doesn't it doesn't make a lot of difference to to many of them whether it's terrestrial or online only. Um, yeah, and I might add, I just visited a station that was also still on AM and also on cable, so. People so television, yeah. And so this is a college, college station. Yeah. yeah, so college radio continues to be in many different places where you can listen to it.
1: Yeah, and there's there's a lot to be learned by by asking the the young people who make these stations uh, what they are, uh, what they're doing, how they what they think about it, what their challenges are. It's it's a really uh, it's a really unique body of work that Jennifer Waits has been generating both here on the radio program and on the blog on radiosurvivor.com.
0: So, Jennifer, uh, what we didn't quite complete here is is what convinced you to go from Spinning Indie, your blog, covering college radio, to join forces with Matthew and me uh, on Radio Survivor. Because, uh, you know, I, I remember talking to you initially. I wouldn't say you were skeptical, but you had a lot of, I think, uh, good questions for us. <laughs>
3: I think it's always it's always challenging before something is created to know what it's going to be. Mm-hmm. But I've had other positive experiences in in the startup world where you know there was an idea that sounded cool, but it was hard to really imagine what it was going to be, and then it turned out being amazing. So I think a bit a bit of me just sort of went on faith that this could be amazing, um, but I also wanted to make sure to still keep spinning indie and that identity. That mm-hmm. was really important to me because I was pretty prolific. Um, I started that blog in 2008. And and when I look back, I'm kind of shocked at how much I was able to produce on there in those early years. and And so I really had deep feelings about that and wanting to continue it. So as long as I could do both, I think that's you know, it's it's hard to totally remember, but I think mm-hmm. that's maybe maybe what convinced me. And Matthew mentioned earlier that you know, teaming up with other people, you're more likely to to reach more people and and attract a bigger audience. So that was appealing. And I also felt like between the three of us, there was we were covering a really interesting mix of radio culture. So I thought that was a good thing too. And I still think that that's one of the really strong aspects to Radio Survivor is that we have people who are deeply passionate and experts about uh, different corners of radio and audio culture.
0: Mm -hmm. You know, one of the things you would mentioned early on uh, that spurred you to create Spinning Indie was, you know, writing an academic article, a journal article. Uh, and then not finding too much out there in, in your literature review. And and I think it's important to point out at this moment in time that Radio Survivor has at least for 40 citations, if not more, in scholarly works. Right. And this is not just Matthew's book, Radio 2.0, uh, which which is a scholarly book. And we're very, uh, very pleased to have the association there. Um you know, in that what you've ended up being able to do, Jennifer and Matthew and Eric, uh, is contribute really to that scholarly record. And I have to say, perhaps in a more accessible kind of way. A lot of these scholarly, exactly. scar- a lot of articles are, you know, they're in journals that you can only access to an academic library. They're very expensive. Um, you know, they're not going to find them very easily online. Um, Radio Survivor is easy to find online.
3: Yeah, no, it is. It's more public scholarship, and and I've really enjoyed over the years, especially as time has gone on with Radio Survivor, we've brought more and more scholars onto the website and the podcast. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and
0: guests, guests on the show. Yes, Jennifer, yes. you've done a great job, especially at helping to foment that.
3: Yeah, so guests on the show, as well as um, you know, articles written by guests, we had we had a whole series for a while going that was a scholarly series and and for me that's been great because like like Paul I'm a PhD dropout and <laughs> so it's been it's been cool to keep my foot in academia by doing this more public scholarship
0: and you know I think that in some ways uh, I mean it ref- I think it reflects a certain change that's happened in scholarship itself like for instance, you know we have a great collaboration. I think in many ways with Sounding Out, which is a scholarly podcast and website, uh, you know that that covers sound studies. And we've had a we've certainly been saying the word sound a lot exactly. more on the show as a result. Uh, yeah, which has which has been liberating
1: way. because it was really hard to know how to talk about the work that we love. Was it radio? Was it podcasts? What are we doing? You know, and yes, it's uh, it's sound. It's always been sound. Yeah.
3: You know, Michelle Helms, uh, an amazing radio scholar, she she has talked about using the term sound work mm-hmm. as well. So, yeah, I think there's a, a lot of folks talking more about the idea of sound, which is a very interesting, it's a cool way to frame things.
0: Yeah. You know, exactly. And I think, you know, we've seen over this in the last decade a loosening up, I think, in the academy in some ways, and it's partly due to a, a new generation of scholars uh, who are younger, but also, frankly, don't look like the previous generation of scholars, helping to kind of shake things up, and often being much more civically engaged uh, and less ivory tower and less removed, that I think, than the generations that preceded them. Not that there weren't some scholars in the past who who had all of these qualities or you know weren't also engaged. I think we're seeing this this type of praxis. The fact that you know podcasts are becoming part of the, the scholarly canon and the work that scholars are doing and emerging scholars. Cause I know that a lot of, uh, folks who are in graduate school participate with say sounding out, um, they're coming into it, and it's great for us to have that line of collaboration that, that that's been built up. You know, in addition to the fact that you know Matthew, you 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 are the the, the radio survivor who finished a PhD. uh you have, you have authored three scholarly novels, uh, scholarly books. I'm sorry, scholarly books. The so, first of which so, was a runaway so some bestseller. People think, some, some people think they're novels. I should tell you. <laughs> and, um, and your first one on on, on the origin and, and, and history yeah, of Pacifica it, it Radio was a runaway bestseller.
2: It ran. It made the San Francisco for one week. It made the San Francisco Chronicles, um, um, a, a, a bestseller list yeah. in one week. And the um, that's rare. The, the 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 book editor at the time, um, was embarrassed by this, <laughs> and um, and said and and called it a flawed but irresistible book. <laughs> that was, that was that's, wow. that's that's that that's what he called he he called it. He said I. I I forgot exactly what all the criticisms were. But I mean, anyway, I was very happy that it was that it was popular at the time. And Matthew, is that an
3: apt description for community radio?
2: Yes. (laughs) Yes. Flawed but irresistible. I think that that's actually that should be our tagline. Right. Um, (laughs) Flawed but irresistible. irresistible. Yeah. Um, I'm the I'm unfortunately the one who um, didn't have the good sense to drop out and stayed in.
1: Well, and I would like to mention now to the to the to the listeners, in case they're not, uh, you know, in case they're not steeped in Pacifica Radio lore, that the reason why Matthew's uh, first book, uh, uh, it it was a matter of timing. Where Matthew, you had been his, you had been studying the history of this amazing right. n- uh, radio network that had been founded and in, 19- in 19- KPFA.
2: I was. It was mostly about the history of KPFA in Berkeley, and in nineteen ninety nine, KPFA in Berkeley blew up. Yes, but, but- it basically.
1: But sa- sadly, blew up. But but more importantly, in the '40s, in the late '40s, uh, had been founded uh, in a way that um, w- invented community radio, invented the model of listener-supported radio.
2: Well, you know, I think it's interesting. You know, these all these terms in the history. I I one of the things that I've learned from all of you, and particularly from you, Jennifer, is I'm much more aware of the fact that college radio was the first public radio. Mm-hmm. Um, it was, it was really the first, um, you know, community supported, um, um, radio and it, um, it, 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 it was responsible for, um, uh, the creation of national public radio, actually college radio was, um, um, in the, in the, um, in the, in the 1960s. And, um, I, you know, I became much more aware of that from, Jennifer, from Eight. reading all of your, reading all of your work, and sometimes I really wish that I had written my first two books about Pacifica Radio after I had been involved with Radio Survivor for about five years, instead of the other way around, in which I wrote those two books and then I got involved with Radio Survivor because I would I learned I've learned so much from all of you guys, and um, that would have really benefited my earlier scholarship a lot, but. Of course you can't change these things.
1: Do you think there might have been more connections to college radio in the in Yeah, there would been much more There would have been
2: much, more, conne- have been much more connections to college radio and I think I would have been less, you know, less of a of you know, a, a kind of cult-like uh, um, a tunnel vision view of Pacifica Radio, which I think um, is a, is one of the flaws in my first book on um, Pacifica Radio um, on the, the rise well, of an alternative network. If,
1: if it was a flaw in your book, it may be perhaps it's also a flaw in the culture of that amazing radio network. Uh, they, they do great work. Uh, it's, it's my origin story and radio is working for KPFA and the Pacifica Radio network but uh, tunnel vision, uh, might be the tagline of Pacifica, the Pacifica yes.
3: radio network. Yeah. Well, and yeah. It, and as we all know, and I talk about this kind of incessantly, you know, everyone creates their own origin story, you know, radio stations mm. do. And and these ideas of we were first at this, we were first at that, yeah. you know, that is always up for debate. There's always more to the story. Yeah, so, a lot of
2: that, a lot of that is not true. You right. Know, a, lo- a lot of those things are, a lot of those things, it turns out, as I found out the hard way, um, are just not true. They're just things that they put in there. But that's because they don't know enough about the rest of the. Um, they don't know, know enough about the rest of the radio. So not lies,
0: so much as provisional truths. That's a very
2: diplomatic way of putting it. Paul. I, <laughs> I, 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 I applaud your deftness in this.
3: Well, and most people are not obsessive researchers like we are. So, like, uh like, well, we think we. We've never heard of anybody who did this before, so we must be the first. Which, right, that's you know, right. That's, that's not right. research. <laughs>
2: <laughs> that's just self-promoting laziness. Um, <laughs> one of the things that's really great about us, I mean, since we're if we're if we're you know praising ourselves, which I think we should on our 10th anniversary, is is that we really know how to crank it out. I mean, that's the thing. The thing about us, you know, we're just three, you know, we're just three and then four uh, people. Um, but we are very, we're a very productive little. Um, little group of buggers, and the Obsessed other thing about perhaps. us is, is it, the, the the other thing about us is is that um, and Paul, you mentioned this in your your blog post is is that we get along, you know. I mean, we, I I can't think you know I can't think of one major or minor or even slightly minor, factional battle that we've had <laughs> over the last ten years. I mean, I I think we've more or less <laughs> you know agreed to agree with each other, which is worth
1: mentioning. In the world of radio, maybe perhaps, or the world more. of online, yeah. right?
0: I mean, and I think, <laughs> I mean, I, I I have no advice to offer. We, when we first conceived of this project, we we we, I mean, it's effectively collective. And I don't know that we ever use those words, but we all are equal partners uh, with, and we do actually have like a very short foundational kind of contractual document because we are incorporated. Uh, you know, I don't want to get into the into the nitty gritty. There isn't very much there, but the idea it was created from the idea that yeah. there was equal standing, and that we didn't want anyone, I think, to be involved or not involved uh, by virtue of coercion, and and so we we and so it requires us to agree, and, and generally speaking, we do we do, and and I don't know, I mean, considering that. Going into this, Matthew and I, I mean, we knew each other, but we'd never met each other in person. It's for someone else to study. We collaborated over email. Uh, Jennifer, as well, had maybe you knew of our work a little bit or came to know of our work, but you'd never met us.
1: But if if the question is, why is Radio Survivor productive and healthy as a work environment? I think that's for a different uh, academic or professional psychologist.
0: But uh, I think we should remark that it that it's worked for yeah. a decade because we've seen you know we've seen uh, volunteer projects and a lot of really interesting websites or interesting podcasts right. uh, come and go and sometimes it's not because the people don't get along because the other half of this is sustaining the interest over time when maybe you feel like sometimes you're shouting into a hole or you start to feel like does anyone else besides us care. Uh, you know, and, and, you know, I think we, anyone who goes through this, you know, someone who does a, who's does a radio show on a college or community station goes through this. Yeah. Um, it's easy to have to deal with these kinds of well, occasional anxieties. I'm going to
1: add that one of radio survivors strengths in sustaining the work is that the people that work on it come from the world of non-commercial radio, <laughs> where, where work is valued, despite the fact that it's not given a monetary yeah, that's uh, a great you're yes. not being remunerated specifically, and so when so many websites in the 2009-ish era are being founded in the hopes of becoming the next big uh, Buzzfeed type, uh, you know, it, you know, getting getting those ad dollars, uh, Radio Survivor always had a vision that it should exist and needed to exist, even if. Uh, Capitalism doesn't doesn't have a value to assign it, and uh, that's that's why rate that's why all these radio stations are around, and the shows and the people, the volunteers that create these radio stations and make them great are always doing it for the passion, uh, in
0: before before the payment. But I think sometimes what complicates that, and I agree, I think that that's a very astute point, is that even within the the sort of the attention economy, then. It can, it can, right. Cause I think that's how often people find their, uh, what they do it for, right? It's the, it's the calls from the listeners. It's the knowing that there is their ears getting the the voice. We had a really wonderful email from a listener last week. Oh, yeah. We, I mean, now I agree. I, yeah. I would say that over, you know, but that often that that's what causes people are doing it and they, and they don't always, uh, the reverberations don't necessarily measure up to anticipation Mm -hmm. and expectation. Right. I said
1: one, I said one email. Yeah. Even (laughs) even if, even
0: if the, uh, you know, you're not talking about remuneration, you know, early on, I mean, we certainly were hoping that these efforts might be somewhat remunerative. Yeah. And, and, and let me say, we have folks who contribute to keep the show going and keep the, the website going. And that really makes sure that, uh, we don't, really experience out-of-pocket costs. It's wonderful. But it's, you know, um, and in that time, I think radio publications or publications of all sorts have found that uh, being profitable, for lack of a better way of putting it, isn't very easy, and economies around publishing is and it, have changed tremendously. Is in the it last my 10 turn years.
1: to mention that Matthew also reached out to Eric Klein, a mm-hmm. young Eric Klein, please? Uh, back in I was I'm I don't uh, I don't know why I feel like I'm the baby of the group. I am not the baby of the group. <laughs> but when I was uh, in my late twenties, I was working at Free Speech Radio News there in the in the hallway of KPFA, which. I will talk about free speech radio news for a very long time if given the opportunity, um, and ask Matthew questions. Uh, but that's not this story, but I'd filed a, I'd filed a handful of stories on the FCC and, uh, loved doing it, loved reporting on what was going on and trying to basically understand these weirdly complex things that were happening and noticing that this was a, like these stories are fun to talk about now later because, um, they were about the changes happening on the internet. They were about the power that the companies that that um, that provided the internet were, were were exercising over the internet. It's about you know it's it's uh 15 years ago now, but it's still uh it's still a story that's being told about um about uh the free and open internet. What do we call it? Net neutrality. <laughs> It was uh was one of the stories that I was reporting back in the 2007 area but uh I guess the reason I brought it up is I didn't accept the call. Matthew asked me to to file more stories for this new website of his and uh when I asked if uh it would be a a paying job at that time <laughs> in my in my late 20s as a uh as as a person trying to pay the rent in the Bay Area I I, yeah. I was not able to accept the offer but it was always um it was always an honor right it always like i didn't forget that i that that uh that i that i had been seen and that my work had been valued and uh you know I, I was able to i was able to join you guys and and help you make this radio program help you found this radio program much later uh 6 years after the founding of radio survivor which yeah. now now as time passes is not uh <laughs> it's not as much of a uh, span Right. When I mean, I wonder them. if
0: it. I mean, and, and in part we brought you on. I, I'm willing to say this as an equal partner, mm-hmm. right? So it was not. Oh, you, know, you were late to the game, so we're going to. Uh, I still don't type you. as much as you guys do.
2: Well, but, but you you edit, edit you edit yeah. the
0: vast majority of the episodes of the of this uh, it's,
2: podcast. It's a lot. It's a lot of work. We know that.
0: Yeah.
2: Um, yeah. I spent a lot of time during those years, as I recall, grasping at people. Yeah. And um and trying to get them to be part of this thing, and I consider it um, a great success that I grasped that and I got you three into this thing. I have to go, oh, but no, I like just you. I just wanted to say um, to all of you um, how grateful I am um, for all the wonderful work you've done and all the great collaboration that you've done. And I'm looking forward to all the other all the things that we're going to do together um, um, in this um, in this wonderful little work environment that we've um, created in which we all basically get to do what we want and people pay attention. So thank you.
0: Well, thank, thank you, you Matthew. so much, and, Matthew. Uh, and thank you,
1: Matthew. Uh, I'm so happy that you're going to be able to join us more often here in the summertime uh, so we can talk more so that it's not just 40 minutes with Matthew Lessard, Yes, next week be, we're going I to
0: know. join up again to indulge in in, in some uh, fantasy sci-fi world building.
2: <laughs> yes, yeah, about the... About the the, the the FCC of our dreams. The FCC of our dreams. Yeah. Uh,
1: well, so, uh, yeah, good times. Thank
2: you so All much, right. Matthew. Thank thank you, Thanks, guys. See you, see you soon. Bye-bye. So,
0: Jennifer, you know, over these last 10 years of writing for Radio Survivor, and now you've been doing 11 years uh, writing about college radio in general online, you know, I wonder, you know, what changes you observe you know in 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 both maybe radio and it could be you can be specific to college radio if you like but also to some extent like how your writing is received or how writing about radio online has even changed i don't know if you have any thoughts there
3: uh well i mean not many people were writing about radio online i mean one thing i guess In a broader way, over those 10 years, over those 11 years, there have been outlets that have written about college radio culture for kind of fits and starts. Mm -hmm. So I've seen things come and go. And like at various points, I thought, oh, like I have a competitor, you know, somebody is, uh, you know, covering my beat suddenly. Um, And nothing, nothing ever lasted. So I guess that's that's a bit sad. Um, you know, I was happy. I was happy when people took it on. I wish there were more people actually writing about college radio culture, and that doesn't seem to have happened. So that's something to kind of wrap your head around. Like, why is it still seen as such a niche? Area of I wonder
0: if they're looking at the web stats right I wonder because if they are publications say writing about music which okay. I think is where there's a sort of natural synergy especially indie music you know if there's somebody who is uh, looking at the website saying well that one that didn't do as well as talking about the latest indie releases this week so sure. maybe it's not worth it or maybe maybe someone gets into it and goes oh this is harder
1: well right. now and now or
3: somebody's already doing it. <laughs> and
1: I mean the yeah. other the other natural uh genre of um that that would cover college radio would be um publications that cover colleges. Like I mean, and is that even a thing? Yeah, but it
0: really isn't a like public like there's yeah. not really publications for the general public about colleges. Right, it would be very internal to like people who work in colleges and universities, and I'm not. And and as we know, often the relationship there can be sort of fraught, tenuous, or or but, or benign, but be, benevolent. Uh, you it, know, and in a lot attention. of ways,
1: we also know because Jennifer has helped us understand this that um, within the culture of colleges broadly, what the radio stations are doing are not always considered to be integrated into the school. Right, they're often seen as. Um, like warts something <laughs> it right. sounds like
3: although it's outgrows you know it's it's so interesting because i'm i'm at a point where i know people who who might have kids who are about to go off to college or who are touring colleges and you know my the way i understand colleges is entirely through radio stations at this point in my yeah. life um, but but it is a window to the entire school, actually. So I feel like when I'm out and about touring radio stations, which is something that I've been doing these past eleven years, uh, i'm I'm gleaning I'm gleaning some interesting insights about what's happening on college campuses and and what the environment is like, what stress levels are like, yeah. and, <laughs> yeah. and how stations are often these sort of they're often an oasis for people, uh, a, a bit of calm among, you know, oftentimes a stressful environment, either academically or socially. Right, and, and when
1: I should add that not all college stations are so separate from the goings-on at the schools that they're that they would be considered, uh, you know, strange step cousins of the of the oh, academic yeah, of environment. Course, Some are very integrated. Of course integrated.
3: not, and yeah, and there are radio stations that actually have programs featuring their college president on a regular basis. So there, there are schools where, you know, people um, in the governance, involved in the governance of the campus are regularly in the radio station. There are plenty of college radio stations that are part of an academic department that, that are learning labs and that are directly connected to students getting jobs in broadcasting so it's the whole gamut, you know, and that's part of what I write about is that there isn't just one type of college radio station. And and I want to add, you know, so college radio, I, I attempt to write a column every week where I'm recapping the week's college radio news. Mm-hmm. and And there is writing about college radio every week. So there are a lot of stories about college radio. But it's not
0: one consistent publication, these are, you're aggregating news stories that come from local papers, college papers, national publications, online publications, et cetera.
3: Yeah, exactly. So it's getting covered in all these different places, but I'm, I'm sort of the clearinghouse if you want to find out, you know, and those articles tend
0: to exist in a vacuum, right? They're not, they, they tend to be about a particular station or about a particular news item. And they're, they're not Often, you know you've got a beat reporter who who doesn't write about college radio, but they write about local news or they write about education or they write about music and and this comes into their beat but they don't have the uh, overall context of, of the of college radio as a species
3: right and and one thing that does happen over and over is you see profiles of college radio stations and mm. you know that's something that I love to do and and that's a common. Type of story that you might see, um, Bandcamp Daily hmm. periodically writes profiles of college radio stations mm-hmm. that are really good and interesting. Yeah. And uh, they've CMJ... been about one of the
0: most consistent now that when I think about it, in terms of college radio coverage, besides yeah. you.
3: Bandcamp. Yeah. Bandcamp, I know, and it's you know excellent writing too. So plug for that. Um, we and are not CMJ. sponsored by
1: Bandcamp, but we have some <laughs> some warm feelings about Bandcamp. So, Jennifer,
3: so I'm gonna
0: given that these other publications have come and gone, or or these columns that that would provide some sort of collaborative coverage have come and gone. Why are you still doing it 11 years later?
3: Because it's more important than ever. <laughs> You know, Is it's that how still, you?
0: But you know, but I, 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 imagine that the the folks who have started columns with the best of intentions, or who've written profiles on a regular basis with the best of intentions, would also agree it's important. Why? Why? How does that turn into you sticking with it and writing? Now um, you've written the weekly one for I don't even know when we started that, but it's got to be like eight years ago.
3: <laughs> yeah. How do I keep? How do I keep doing it? Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean. Yeah, the weekly column doesn't always happen. Sometimes that's overwhelming. Sure, I have the same thoughts I would say you make you make, more, you make
0: the vast majority of weeks.
3: <laughs> I feel like it's. Um, I feel like I I sort of have to do the weekly column because nobody else is doing it, and and I want there to be, this historical archive of mm, right. what's happened in college radio. So you know, increasingly, I've become an obsessed with college radio history, and and the present is. The future history, so yeah. and
1: that's I mean that's in part because Jennifer, you've done the you've been a historian of college radio, trying to uncover um, the mysteries of amazing stations of the past. So you, I guess, you see the value of having uh, yeah having some data. Well,
3: and a, and a lot of stuff on the internet disappears. So at least if I do a weekly column and have links, uh, we could possibly put the links into the Wayback Machine later if they disappear, and you know so. I, I, I fear that a lot of these, you know, there's a period of time where, and, and so every time I visit a radio station, I try to dig up its history, yeah. and it's often very difficult to track the history of any given station, so whatever I can do to help make that easier, make it easier to understand the story of college radio, I feel like that's an important part of my mission and I also want college radio to be part of the radio canon, yeah. to be part of the overall story of radio. Like like Matthew mentioned, college radio often doesn't get understood to be part of these important milestones in broadcasting history. And and I like that he he feels like college radio should be inserted into the story of the origins of community radio. And and I would agree that that often it's just like that. It's like it never existed in people's minds that, mm-hmm. you know, all these students on campuses all over the United States and all over the world, like that somehow just didn't exist. Yeah. And it's, I find it's important. Unfortunate. It's important to yeah. remind
1: listeners that maybe haven't listened to every episode of radio survivor as, as closely as I have that, um, that college radio was a part of radio in the early part of the 20th century. And, uh, Some of the very first stations in cities around the country, some of the first places where women's voices were heard on the air uh, were at college radio stations. A genre
0: of email and social media feedback we get is the one that says, OMG, I just discovered you guys and I am losing myself. I'm going down a deep Internet K hole reading up on everything you've done for the last 10 years and your last four years of podcasts. And I agree with you completely on that building the record. I love what you said, Jennifer, the present is future history and that we keep the website up. <laughs> I think this is important that we continue to keep it up and, and keep these things online. Now We, we don't want to close the gates or close the doors or cause it to go away. It is getting cited in scholarly articles, which themselves have a life of their own. And then these articles often in turn are cited themselves, building on this canon and documenting a history that is present but also past that – Right, I think would otherwise not get recorded or not get recorded in a way that's so accessible, frankly. We're still just a Google search away. Um, we're still j- we're there in, in, in a stitcher, in an Apple podcast, in a Google podcast, you know, on Spotify for, for, for that matter. And even if we're not ready to be the next this American Life or Joe Rogan show, or we're not going to be the next the Verge or or BuzzFeed. Right. In terms of, you know, millions and millions of hits and such. Um, The fact that we're able to communicate so directly and be a resource for people who all of a sudden decide that they need to learn more about these various subjects, I think is what keeps me going.
1: Well, and I would I would I would add again that the metaphor of what that work is and its relative size to the big boys uh, is the same as how radio works and the stations that we love that that radio stations in the communities that, um, are the non-commercial stations, the ones that have access to the airwaves that, that are volunteer run, those stations don't have the same kind of, um, weight in the media landscape as, as the big profitable commercial stations. But, but the value (laughs) is not determined by, by that, Mm -hmm. their value to people, um, is different and that's I think that radio survivor the both the radio program and the, the website uh, function in similar ways to these beautiful little radio stations that provide something very important to every community in which they in which they exist in which they communicate to the listeners
0: so before we wrap up in, in sort of in that spirit we have an announcement to make it's something we've teased now for a couple of weeks and that is the fact that we're going to engage in another form of, <laughs> of, of very small, bespoke uh, media. <laughs> we're we're going to release a zine, a printed, a printed version of Radio Survivor, and that is coming up, uh, that we're going to be ready to release uh, in this next month. Uh, that's what we want you all to know, and if you want to learn more about that, go to radiosurvivor.com slash zine. It's spelled Z-I-N-E. And you can learn more about uh, the Radio Survivor Zine. uh, Issue one. I want to call issue one because I hope that this is not a one-off. Which uh, will become available in the next month or so. We've got some fun things planned—the kind of things that would be hard to do online or we just wouldn't do online. Yeah. Um, Jennifer, uh, you've there's some uh, illustrations and cartoons coming up, right?
3: Yes. Engaging my my sometime radio station tour uh, colleague, my daughter, mm-hmm. <laughs> who's also a, a talented teen artist. So. Yeah, she's drawing some stuff. Um, I'm going to do a a tower hike and tour.
0: Wonderful. I'm I'm going to share radios I have known and loved.
1: <laughs> I'm I'm going to write about why my very first job in radio um, still has a, such a strong pull on me, and how I dream of having uh, something like it exist on the planet Earth someday again.
0: So. Uh... Survivor.com slash zine and you know we, we mentioned emails that we get we love to get emails we, we receive some really wonderful missives from people who are listening and reading yeah thank you so um, much for those and we, we always, write back yeah. we're really good about it we try very hard you'll get an autoresponder because we also get a lot of spam but we will follow up a real human being we'll will write back to you drop us a line to podcast at radiosurvivor.com we're carried now on two dozen FM stations across uh, North America and Ireland Welcome Flirt FM in Galway, Ireland. Um, so you, you're hearing us there on a radio station, or of course you can hear us online as a podcast available on Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, pretty much If there's a place you can find a podcast, we're there. So it's a great way to catch up with the program. If maybe you just tuned in now on the radio and you want to go back and find out what you missed often, there's some bonus material there in the podcast. So you can, you can check that out too. We are a listener and reader supported enterprise. Learn more about that at radiosurvivor.com slash support. Uh, Thanks of course to Matthew who had to leave a few minutes early for joining and for having this idea to begin with. Jennifer, thank you so much for joining us from San Francisco.
3: Of course. Yeah, it's it's so exciting to be reflecting back on 10 years and 200 episodes. Unbelievable.
0: I'm Paul Reismandel, and thank you, Eric Klein, in advance for editing this episode. <laughs> You're welcome. Thank you, everybody, for listening. So the zine is going to be available to all of our Patreon supporters. We're going to mail you it in the mail. You'll get real mail from us. For everyone who contributes $5 or more. A month. A month, correct. And as soon as you sign up, you qualify. (laughs) As far as we're concerned. um, What we're looking for right now, we would originally been talking about July 1 as a date that we wanted to have people in by. We're able to push that some all the way to August 1. So everyone who is at a $5 level or more by August 1 and is, has done one full payment cycle in, in Patreon, will receive issue number one of the Radio Survivor zine. It's our way of saying thank you. We wanted to do something fun, something that's in the spirit of, of Radio Survivor, of the fact that we like things that are more handmade, that we're all about radio and sound, that's been not formed by committee, but is, is really more about... Uh, Impulse and spirit and our artistic uh, endeavor and and uh, impulse. So uh, that that's what you need to know. We'll, we'll we'll be sprinkling more details. We're gonna make a zine. So go to patreon.com/slash/radio survivor uh, and you will see that five dollar level and we'll you'll be able to sign up right there for it. If you're already someone supporting us at that level, you're already signed up. That's yeah. a great thing. It's a great way to say thank you. And we really hope that this is not number one. Not just the only one. We hope we're looking for number two, three, and four down the line. But this is our first go at it, and we're hoping it's going to be a, a a super super fun project. Um, and we'll post more details as they come forward. But we're looking to ship these out in August, so we need to know how many to make. And so that's why August one is our deadline to be there and signed up for the Radio Survivor Zine number one. Uh, one of the articles in that scene, Jennifer, uh, that you're working on is wildflowers and radio towers, and 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 radio towers have kind of been a a subject that's come up here and there, and, and there's some historical significance with regard to Radio Survivor.
3: Yeah, it it was. I love Paul. I love your piece about reflecting back on ten years of Radio Survivor, and and you you looked through at some of the first articles that we wrote, and so I went back and looked at some of my first articles, and. In that first month or so, I started a Radio sur- Survivor Obsessive. Mm.
0: Oh, right. The Radio profiles. Obsessive's profiles, which yes. We've, yeah.
1: Which we've much more recently learned is also called Anorak
0: over the, on <laughs> over the other side in, of over, the Pacific Over in, the ocean. in Ireland
1: the and Atlantic ocean, uh, the UK.
3: Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, I wonder if it would broadly... Like, I was thinking... So I profile people who are obsessed with various radio topics, and the first obsessive that I interviewed was somebody who was obsessed with radio towers. Mm. And and so we talked about that. And, and and yeah, so Paul was just reminding me of the connection since, you know, my mother's day wish was to go on a hike to see Radio Towers on San Bruno Mountain. And and that will be a feature in our zine is my my Mother's Day hike to, to see wildflowers and radio towers. And San
1: Bruno Mountain is significant because it's 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 the point from which all the towers broadcast down into the Bay Area or San Francisco. What is what is this mountain?
3: Oh, I don't know. I'm looking at it right now. So actually, but the radio have- towers
0: there so yeah
3: there are radio towers there beaming everywhere but yeah i don't know exactly which radio most towers cities are there.
0: have have one or have at least one or two have a these places yeah have a yeah here, here in portland in the west hills there's a place known as stonehenge uh which is a which is just one of the hills which is actually a small mountain range um and the tualatin mountains and uh there's a bunch of radio towers yeah, there and states. so like KB, kb has their radio tire here radio tower there um it's and,
1: it's such an interesting thing for me to realize as a blind spot for me is that I care so much about the sound that I've uh, not spent very much time thinking
0: about the engineering challenges, the physical geography of radio. Everyone's sending their radio signals up on top of buildings and mountains, yeah. and that very well, very rarely are the transmitters and towers co sided with the studio. That's a right. rare case.
3: Yeah, and and San Francisco has really complicated terrain with mm. all the hills. Yes. So there are a number of these of these sites where there are a bunch of towers located, and San Bruno Mountain is not in San Francisco. It borders a few different cities. Actually, where is it? Uh, there,
0: where is it to the south or to the north? Where is it? It's to
3: the south of San Francisco. So, like
0: more like towards Daly City, kind of.
3: Yeah. So, I think it borders Daly City and Brisbane and South San Francisco. So we're gonna mm-hmm. have
1: a uh, we're gonna have a a print physical media tour of your hike
3: yes and i don't know if it's a tour but it's more you know
1: a trouble how how
3: how beautiful to see you know i took a ridiculous number of photos of these radio towers from every angle because to get to the top of san bruno mountain which is really high uh you're sort of making a loop around it so i got to get all these glamour shots of radio towers from every angle I felt a bit like Amanda Dawn Christie who Right. That's what who, I was thinking of. Who did these tower portraits uh that we talked about on mm. the podcast. Right, right. Um yeah. And my my daughter was just like, really? Like I can why say, are you so excited? I can say
1: because it's the podcast that I had uh, a really nice opportunity to meet some very uh good people who are a part of the Radio Survivor community. They 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 help with um, with our local uh, broadcast of the show. And uh, their feedback that they like the show included that uh, they found Am- Amanda Don Christie's episode to be very inspiring. It was. Yeah. I, I, I had nothing to do with that episode. So, <laughs> yeah, so it was I, such I a was just thing. a listener.
0: And, and it was very much so. I love the idea that she tried to build her own. Yeah. plumbing to... to yeah. You know, the, the background being that she was in Sackville, Ontario. Uh, is Ontario? It's Sackville, Canada. I forget what province. I've embarrassed myself on the show so many times okay. with can, so Canadian Sackville, geography. which used to be the site of, of Radio Canada International's uh, antenna farm, where they broadcast all their shortwave programming, plus would broadcast shortwave for other broadcasters around the world right. so that they could reach a North American shortwave. market. And with all these enormous high-powered shortwave broadcasts out there, uh, radio would just come in, in people's pipes, in their radios, in their, in all sorts, any place where, where that, that was, that was a big enough piece of metal that it could be an antenna was and, and became a radio, um, you know, and in part Sackville was chosen because yeah. it's a very marshy area and uh, shortwave and medium wave signals travel very well oh, through the wet ground. Through wet ground, whether but, it gives you great ground conductivity because there's also a lot of uh, dissolved minerals and salts. But as in, Amanda in Don Christie,
1: our guest on that episode, described, because of the science of this, the sounds would be coming out of people's
0: yeah homes Plumbing.
1: in a ghostly and creepy way. That was, you know, so everyone was aware of it at some point. But but somebody got surprised and thought there were spirits talking to them. Yeah.
0: But she tried to recreate it. Yeah. Right. And she yeah. tried to re, make her, uh, build radio her own and then found out that one, the copper was too expensive. Right. But then but also <laughs> I I just want to bring up again the sort of
1: weird ghostly spiritual nature of the voices floating yeah. out from nowhere, because uh, while that was scientifically disproven, it also um, was the inspiration for all sorts of artwork that Amanda Don Christie engaged in uh, as, a, as a broadcast, uh, as, as what do we call it? A transmission artist. Yeah. yeah, right. So a really fun episode in the last Yeah, no, of very,
3: very inspiring. I love that we've been able to, uh, you know, stretch stretch our mm-hmm. wings on, uh, on the podcast and the website and explore all the different ways that transmission intersects with art and culture and going
0: back to like the theme of this the, the looking back at the decade um we made i think we made a great decision early on and uh, in creating radio survivor back in 2009 and if you go back to those early posts you you would see that we we did a lot more news for lack of a better way of putting it and i don't mean just like we did journalism then and we don't do journalism now but we were sort of reporting more on uh, what is going on in, in radio with a focus on what affects community radio and, 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 and college radio, high school radio, and to some extent, you know, podcasting and public radio. But we were sort of keeping up with events. And I remember there was a moment in which we sort of all talked and sort of said, you know what, we're going to lay back on this. Like in part, I think we did it because in the economics of publishing at that time, as we understood it, 2009, 2010, 2011, having that sort of near daily grind and being able to publish this news mm. constantly would keep people coming back. It would give us prominence in Google searches. We we were able to be in Google news searches. And so we, you know, a sense of like that would help us build an audience. And, and of course, at the time we had banner ads. So it was directly connected yeah. to what little revenue came in. But it was also, I think, a point at which I would speaking for myself, and I think Matthew expressed something similar. It, our heart wasn't in it in some way, and and that Such it was some things that we too. cared about and some things that we didn't. And I think that that marked a mark to change as we would solely went more towards uh, passion, right? Following right? your heart, you know, and you know, often, you know, when it comes to choosing a career, maybe that's not always the best idea, or the way you make your money. But if This is something which you're doing for the joy of it and the fun of it. Uh, That shift to following your passion was important. And I think for Jennifer, you know, I don't want to speak for you. It seems as though your passion and your sort of more uh, weekly grind matched up a little bit more because it was you really were took on this college radio as your as your beat. But I don't know. I mean, I suspect maybe there was a change for you at some point, too, where you kind of honed your your the point of your focus.
3: Yeah, you know it. It continues to change and evolve mm-hmm. because certainly in the early years, there were these news stories that I followed very closely. So you know Harold Camping and the end of the world and family radio. Family radio, radio yeah. Um, <laughs> I wrote a lot about that, and yeah. and and that story was ever changing. As go he was predicting, go read the
1: website to learn about Harold Camping and the end of the world radio.
3: And you know, and I'm a I have a master's degree in popular culture studies. So, like, I love, I love, you know, culture and quirky stories. And um, a lot of what he was saying was very hateful and disturbing. Um, but it was also an interesting radio story. So, you know, that was something where we got a ton of hits for the mm-hmm. articles because that did show up in those breaking news alerts. And then, and then KUSF, the KUSF shutdown. Yeah. University of San
0: Francisco's college station, which in some way, which still stands, I think, as a kind of a milestone of sorts. Yeah. For so many Uh, different ways. Yeah, Yeah. for so many different ways. A great
1: station and also um, sort of the the archetypal shutdown of a great station. Of a
0: college station that had become a community station, essentially.
3: Yeah, a well-loved station. And it was a very, very complicated story, how it all came down, that can't be communicated in you know, like a traditional elevator pitch, you know, and there's no succinct way to describe the story. It was very com- complex. And, and that was interesting, you know, it was happening in the city where I live. So I was able to go to protests and interview people and, and be on the scene for every twist and turn of that. And it also was my introduction into the FCC database that Matthew talked about at the very beginning of our conversation today. And, and so that was a turning point for me too, like really understanding how to dig into the FCC database and and see what was going on with with a license, and um, and realizing that a lot of people just casually writing about a college radio station oh, shutdown yeah. don't know how to navigate through all of that. Mm-hmm. So it gave me some tools that I've been able to use, you know, that I continue to use, uh, but. But yeah, it, it it's frustrating for me because I I felt really proud of being able to cover that story all the way through and I wish I could do that with every situation like that. Mm-hmm. But 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 like you've said, we all have to figure out what we're passionate about and what we have the time for. And in that case, it was it was in my hometown, so that was something I really cared about. Yeah. And wanted to do the story justice. And, and I wish I could do justice to similar radio station shutdowns across the country, yeah, but somebody I, just, should. I just can't, unfortunately. Yeah,
1: okay. Well, uh, I mean, if in it, it, we're going to talk about Another World is Possible on the next episode, and it is possible to imagine a world in which there is enough Patreon support for Radio Survivor that Jennifer Waits can parachute down into other communities, stick with them... For a long time, develop sources and actually, you know, really report stories uh, deeper. There's, n- there's no reason to believe that that's not uh, right. A possibility, although you know, anyway.
0: We well, we've talked
3: about well, it. Well, I wish I could do that. I really yeah. do wish I could do that. You would do it. Um, that's I mean, that's for w- for WUEV in particular, University of Evansville, um, you know, is in the midst of you know the license application has has gone to the fcc for the license to be sold to another entity yeah. and uh, you know i've done i've done one lengthy interview that i haven't written about or um, included on the podcast and, and I feel like I need to do a, a lot more interviews to actually do that story justice which I'm I'm not sure that right. I have the time because to do Because
0: just one person's perspective on it may simply be it's probably insufficient. I have something... Well, oh, well and
3: I know that there are a lot of stories. I know there are a lot of people I would like to talk to but yeah. it's just a matter of um, you know, do I have the, the time to do that? And, and that makes me really sad because I, I think it's important... This is a station that I wrote about as a success story in the past for fighting off previous, previous oh, well. notions of selling it off. So I, I think it's I think it's an interesting case study that really deserves time and attention.
1: Well, I, it occurred to me just now while you guys were talking that I actually had one more story to tell about about the founding of Radio Survivor and the two hundredth episode and what um, where I have. Uh, come as the producer as an editor as as one of the people that helps make the show and what's really interesting is that um before the podcast had been founded it had been my intention to move on from caring about community radio stations i didn't move to portland oregon uh, after after leaving my KPFA life behind me, I didn't move. I I wasn't unable actually. I tried. I was unable to find another community radio station to call my home. And that would pay you. Not even that. Oh yeah. Okay. Not even that. Not sure? even that. Sure. Okay. Working on Radio Survivor over the two hundred episodes that we've produced this program has uh, taught me more than I thought was possible about. Radio stations and doing the work of community radio about the artists who create sound and uh, really, if you know, uh, what's what's different about the origin stories that you described today on the show, Paul and Jennifer and Matthew, is that you all had passions that uh, were pre existing that you had uh, plenty of motivation to sit down at a keyboard and get get these stories. Out to an audience, and I uh, had a weird situation where I had been um, I'd, I'd had all the meaning of radio sucked out of me, and I didn't actually know anymore uh, why I loved it. and producing the program, being a part, being a participant in the program, being having the privilege to be able to be uh, the one person on earth or at least four people on earth who've had my ears on every single minute of what we've produced has taught me uh, more about uh what these radio stations are and what they mean to people than I had realized and it, I look forward to the next 200 because I know I'll learn more about That's awesome. about this world yeah it is. and it's yeah. i think i think if i know that uh as someone who speaks into the microphone for all these hours that it's gotten easier for me to talk about the like the the frames of why it matters over the years that, that early episodes, I might've been a lot more of a, a receptacle for the information. And as it went on, I had a better ability to speak about it and to repeat, uh, repeat ideas and, and, uh, echo passions of other people. Mm-hmm. And, and putting, putting all of those thoughts into my head was a really important part of, uh, producing this podcast. It's like, it's another reason that people should, uh, Work on projects like podcasts, uh, with um, with a passion, above or despite or separate from uh, being rewarded by clicks and likes yeah. and audience.
0: Because I think that's, I mean, you know, and and to do it with other people, right. I think, you know, yeah, exactly. I and different this, people, if you can get away with uh, yeah, it, too, I wrote right? this with, in, in my piece that I think that's the, it, it wouldn't, if this had just been my project, I don't think it would exist right now. Yeah. Matthew um, said it.
1: Matthew said it. like, I yeah. wish that I had talked more with Jennifer Waits before I wrote my book.
0: Right. And, but it is because we can, we rely on each other and there's somebody else to, to put out the, sh- the podcast and we a show, somebody else to write somebody, you know, there, there are weeks when Jennifer is the only person who has written, or months when Jennifer is the only person who's written recently. <laughs> I'm still working on my next, right. my second well, and, piece of 2019. And I've picked <laughs> up but, the but writing. But you know what's but, exciting is yeah. like
3: the past few weeks, I didn't do any writing and there was so much writing And we, didn't, we didn't coordinate that. Awesome. That yeah. You know, no. we
0: honestly didn't coordinate that. I was. It's so great. It's I such was a moved and motivated. And I want you know you you mentioned w u e v right and in and, and, and Evansville, and how you wish you right now had the time to do this more deep case study reporting right and that's something that comes from you i mean I, I suspect Jennifer, that's something it's an obligation you feel, but it sounds like it's deeper than that, right you were there's a real intrinsic motivation on that is do I sense that correctly?
3: Yeah, well, and the thing is like i know I know there's a story that can be written that would be really mm-hmm. good that would yeah. really dig into what. And and I think it's also because it's um, it's troubling me, like why? Yeah, it, it was it was one of my shining success stories. So after the KUSF shut down, I was looking for examples of stations that had successfully kind of fought and won, because I think every every time there are frustrated folks at a station that's about to go under, they they look for these glimmers of hope, mm-hmm. and so. W U E V, like the story about how folks had saved the station in the past, was one of those glimmers of hope. Yeah. So it's it's a story that I guess is haunting me a little bit. Like what you know, how could they be so successful hmm. and then what happened in the intervening years? To lead to the place where they are now.
0: I've seen some of the emails that come in. I will not reveal any of it, but I know (laughs) that that there are opinions out there. And and underneath those opinions, there are probably some observation stories and facts. And, you know, I, I brought that point simply because I know it's something where I've often struggled myself is a sense of the obligation versus the passion, right? And you know, we all kind of keep doing it because of some sense of obligation. I think that's what causes us to return to it or to be consistent. And, and there's something good about that. But the obligation can also be stinging in its own in its own right because there are times when you you're just like I don't I don't want to do this, uh, and you know, or I don't care anymore. Right? I don't care about this topic. I don't care about this thing. And it seems like people want me to write about it, but I. But I don't, and, right. and 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 one of the things <laughs> that, we, that we've talked about at times has been sort of you know a thing that will often bring in the hits at least briefly or get a lot of attention is when there's conflict at a station, right? When right. When, when you've got a battle or a conflict or something, and and, and in some cases, uh, the battles over college radio stations mirror this, but it often happens inside community radio stations, and and someone will write us and say, "Did you know this is going on?" and blah 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 blah, and sometimes we know, sometimes we don't, and I've often opined in many ways. Of not jumping into the fray because my hat off and on this is, in the moment, you know there's a lot of there's a lot of smoke and a lot of spark, but what what comes of it? What can we learn? And right. what you've articulated to me about WUEV, Jennifer, is that you think that there are lessons there. There's something for us to take away because of its unique place as as you thought a success story of a college radio that station that was saved from the brink and now is unfortunately being sold years afterwards. And right. and to me, that's always where I look at it is, can we learn something? Because if it's just some some manager or volunteer show is being pushed out at some station somewhere, that could be a stand-in for something. That could be an injustice. It's tough to do the reporting to get underneath the he said she said to get underneath what's actually happening versus all of the hurt feelings and the in the politics, which I'm not saying aren't important, well, but are hard to. It's hard to get perspective,
1: I think, I think, and
3: especially if you're not there on the right, scene, exactly, right? Exactly, yeah. But also, and if, you're not doing pers- you know, interviews that aren't over email. You know, I learned so much when I meet up with people in person or have a phone conversation. Mm-hmm. So, and that's, yeah, that's right. true reporting and it takes a lot of time.
1: Right. We're On the one hand, we're talking about Jennifer's uh, desire to report a story that deserves to be written, but, uh, but requires a thousand hours of work. Um, <laughs> but on the other hand, we're also talking about not talking about radio station drama, which I think is still an important topic for our existing audience. Mm-hmm. That uh, there's a reason that that kind of struggle over a station that's extremely um, like personal mm-hmm. and uh, it turns the listeners off. We've, we've been there before. Yeah, I mean,
0: I think, I mean, it, it draws some people in because some people are drawn to drama and fire. I mean, conflict. look at, yeah. I mean, right. Look at TMZ, right. I mean, some people are drawn to that. Um, And, but often the folks who are drawn to that are going to be drawn only for the radio time. The radio station people are not as pretty as TMZ people. Right. Sure. But I mean, and I, I, celebrities I it's, it's are salacious, not us, right? Yeah. At some level, it can become salacious. And, and I think there, I, I had similar experiences way back when um, with things around the Pacifica Foundation. And there can be facts on the ground and, there, and, and maybe there's a real issue of justice or an issue of policy that's underneath. Sure. Uh, but sometimes it really just comes down to lots of people who don't get along and... That's understandable. It happens. I'm looking for the lessons, right? And how, if if someone can demonstrate to me personally, at least, how uh, an eruption at one station could be used as a lesson for other stations, I'm always open to it finding it may be very difficult and take a lot of time. Often it's in the meta. It's when we synthesize these stories, right? And Jennifer, you know, I think we've talked about it on, on Radio Survivor where we can look at a pattern when there were uh, of multiple stations. What do we see similar about these college stations that where the administration decided to get rid of the license? Are there similarities? What can we learn from the similarities and the differences rather than, you know, individual? Although, it, I'm not arguing against there being a case study and it being useful. It 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 it's pick and choose. And are we getting into it again because we just simply think it's going to bring in listeners and viewers for a time, uh, readers, um, and because it's hot and and it gets people's you know it gets our our amygdalas buzzing and it gets us you know anxious and it gets people listening. It gets people wanting to hit the refresh button over and over again to see what the next thing this person said. Right. Or are we truly adding to a dialogue? Are we documenting a, a useful history? And we lean towards the latter, and, yeah. and maybe at our own expense sometimes. I don't know. I mean, I have no idea. I think that the folks who who, who do support us on, say, Patreon, I, I want to guess, are down with this long-term project, long, long, down with the the bigger idea. And that, you know, we can all be upset, and we've all been there over the governance of a particular station or stations and what's going down. Or even get upset with the FCC, or get upset with the National Association of Broadcasters, or NPR. But what is really binds us, and what we want to bind us, is the passion and the belief that great radio is still made, can still be made. It's happening every day, and new things are happening every yeah. day. A new sound, right? To to take it. Well,
3: and those are and those are the stories, and that's what I've loved about the podcast, and I'm so happy about Eric, you know, joining us and. And, and putting so much work into the podcast is I feel like the folks that I tend to ask to be on the podcast are people who I think are going to inspire me. Yeah, And, and that's more what I'm interested in is like learning about something that is totally new to me that I might not understand and being inspired. And, and I think, uh, That's a big part of, you know, why I keep doing Radio Survivor, you know, writing on Radio Survivor and doing the podcast is for that ongoing inspiration and and just getting a creative hit from, you know, learning about somebody doing great work.
0: I think that sums it up really well, Jennifer. Yeah. Uh, thanks to all of our podcast listeners and our Patreon supporters. If you're listening and you're not yet a Patreon supporter, we gave you a great reason because we're going to give you a zine. But, you know, it's uh, there's a lot of work that still goes into this, and there's still a lot of costs we have to cover. So if you can spare even a dollar every single month that really helps out, go to patreon.com slash radiosurvivor. Also,
1: a lot of dreams a that we would dream like dreams. to make come true. true. Uh,
0: there are certainly
1: people out there... That um, just like I did in 12 years ago, where Matthew Lassar asked me to participate, and I was like, But uh, how much are you able to pay me? And the answer was, Well, nothing. And I was like, Well, I, that's such an honor. Thank you. Um, I, I think that there's a future of Radio Survivor where it's, <laughs> it's all right. It's all, there's always a possibility that if yeah. there's, you know, these are things pay people so, and not
0: just ourselves, but other passionate writers and commentators. To do this. But yeah. there's,
1: there are people that I meet young people that I meet that could really contribute yeah. amazing things to, uh, to the work that we all care about that, uh, that I won't ask them as a favor to work for 10 hours for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I would certainly, uh, give them a thousand dollars if I, if I could, what yeah. if I could?
0: Yeah. So
1: thanks for every dollar.
0: Thanks, Jennifer. Thanks, Eric.
3: Thank you. Happy anniversary, everyone. Happy anniversary. Happy
1: Radio Survivor anniversary.